Hi, you've tuned in to the Lovely Travels podcast where we talk about all things travel and adventure. My name is Emma Lovell, also known as Lovely, and I have a mission to visit every UN-recognised country in the world while raising awareness for mental health. Join me as we revisit some of my past adventures, speak to fellow travellers and interesting locals, all while following the journey to 195 countries. I'll be joined soon by my co-pilot, Darius, in Germany. And sometimes we're even going to hit the road together. Make sure to join in the adventure by following me on Instagram, Lovely Travels. You can also join our Facebook group, Lovely Travels Community, and learn more about us at the website, lovelytravels.com. But for now, it's listening time. Travel vicariously along with us. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the Lovely Travels podcast. With me here today is Emma and we are introducing the episode number, I shouldn't number these, Bhutan. <laughs> episode number Bhutan. Yes, that is exactly episode right. Episode number Bhutan. I'm very excited for this episode. Yep, me too. Um, <laughs> why, 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 why are we excited, Emma? Well, why? Why? Who, who is the lovely guest? Who is the lovely guest? The lovely guest is my f- dear friend, Nick Newling, and uh, we travelled to Bhutan together in 2015 on the trek to happiness uh, because Bhutan uh, don't really do uh, the whole productivity GDP thing, or, you know, gross domestic, domestic product. Blah, blah, blah. They right. do um, gross national happiness. And so it is one of it's the fantastic. places, yeah, one of the places in the world that um, you know really focused on the well-being and the health of their people and um, maintaining um, their beautiful culture. And yeah, it's really, really unique place to travel. When did you go? Two thousand fifteen. Um, wow, and Nick not went that long ago. Also in two thousand thirteen, and Nick and mm-hmm. I met in Peru when we did a trek in two thousand twelve. And right. we got on like a house on fire, which you'll hear in the episode. But um, we also have a shared passion for mental health. And uh, Nick is an amazing advocate uh, for mental health and talking about um, suicide prevention and um, raising awareness about mental illness through his organization, The Champions. He sounds like a great guy, this Nick. He's a great guy. He goes into schools and does talks and just um, shares his story really openly. And, um, yeah, he's, you know, it's not, it's quite a heavy topic, mental um, health. Uh, so he brings a fun and lightness to something that's quite deep and serious and just keeps yeah. that conversation going and, and something obviously I'm very passionate about too and, and, and um, sort of a reason for lovely travels starting so both Mm. of us and both of us actually on that Bhutan trip had a bit of a kind of wanting to do more for mental health and wanting to have more of a mission to what we do in life and I said look at us now five years later and we're both doing talking about mental health in our various channels sure Sure. yeah Yeah, it's fantastic well I'm I'm, I'm, I think we should quit faffing about and get right into it let's listen in to Bhutan Bhutan Hi, Nick. Welcome to the Lovely Travels podcast. Thank you for finally having me on the podcast. I've been sitting, <laughs> I've sitting here waiting for months. 
when when will she ask me? When will always, she include always me? Always the bridesmaid and never the bride of the Emma Lovell podcast. But, hey, um, you hey, do a lot of speaking anyway. It was actually, it was, you know, trying to fit you in because uh, of trying to get you to fit us in because you are a speaker man, but we'll get to that. So always start with the uh, the question, who are you? Who are you, Nick? Um, and how do we know each other? Oh, who am I? How much time do we have? God, what a what a deep question to begin with. Um, my my name is Nick Newling, and I, among a bunch of other stuff, uh, spend most of my time doing mental health education and suicide prevention ed- education. So I speak a lot in schools and in workplaces and uh, anywhere that people will have me, really. And I I live in Sydney. I have a, a lovely wife and a little boy named Finn and a beautiful dog named Peanut and uh, that's probably the most interesting part about me. Yes. And how do we know each other? Well, you and I, let's see, we met, was it preschool or was it primary school? <laughs> a couple of years just, after that. <laughs> that's right, yeah. I'm just, I'm just keeping it. I want to make sure you're listening as well. So I'm just <laughs> going to see if you're fact-checking me. We actually, it feels like we met that long ago. We met, I'm going to say about seven years ago, was it? Tw- uh, 2012, so eight right? now. Seven or so years? 2012. 2012. So what's that, math? Eight, eight years. Uh, we <laughs> met through our trekking, our fundraising trekking uh, all over the place. So it's been a, a wonderful journey of, of work and what has become a, a wonderful friendship. Absolutely, yes. So we were off to Peru that year. We went to uh, Machu Picchu to raise money for Black Dog Institute. You had previously been to the Great Wall of China raising money for Black Dog Institute, who mm. you worked for at the time. I did, yeah. I was there for six years and I, w- I was there, yeah, through China, uh, Peru and a couple of Bhutan treks. There you go. And that's what today's episode is. We uh, will focus on Bhutan, but we will um, definitely uh, cover off some of the other things too. So you were just reminding me there was um, sort of a special moment we had in in. In, in Peru, we did. On our trek. We did. What, what happened? Yeah, it was it was very special. So I had decided, for whatever reason, that to get the perfect photo on top of the the top of Machu Picchu. So at the end of it, and you'll pronounce it a lot better than I can because you you don't speak Nicholish, you speak Spanish. So there's <laughs> Machu Picchu, which means small man. Oh, well, right? I, I and actually... And then picture is... Okay, so you imagine you're standing at where the photo's taken that you see on the postcards. You're looking to the very end of it. There's the site itself. And the end of it is that big peak. Yeah. And that's Wainu picture. I think big pointy bit. The pointy bit. The pointy bit. And so we actually trekked up that part. And at the very top of that part, uh, we, I thought, oh, I should probably bring like a suit and tie to get a nice photo and so we're like very very sweaty get up to the very top and it took a long time to get out of my trekking gear and into this suit and tie and for the time I did it was probably 10 minutes or so and and you were kind kind enough to wait and take a photo of me over the site there and what I wasn't aware of it was probably about 10 or so people who had gathered who were just waiting around to see what was happening and uh, at the very end of it, you took a few photos, put the camera back, and I got back in my normal clothes again. 
and then this crowd of people who'd, who'd gathered were sort of, oh, okay, and sort of went back about the business climbing down again. And what I didn't know, being a non-Spanish speaker, that you told me they were saying, this guy's about to propose. <laughs> Everyone stick around and watch, get your cameras out, look what's going to happen. Not knowing I was just some idiot who wanted to... <laughs> just <laughs> just wanted a like, wicked oh, photo. I guess he got cold feet. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what happened. Oh, there, so. these people don't even like each other. They don't even know, I know each other. So, we, <laughs> yeah. so basically I went to the, the top of Machu Picchu to disappoint a lot of other tourists. I know. I mean, a, I mean, I was the most disappointed. I feel you know. <laughs> yeah, it was that real, was a really my... like a lost moment. I love your beautiful wife. She's wonderful. Uh, but, you know, still heartbroken, still mourning that loss. So um, you're, you're going to every UN recognized country to to experience the world, and I'm going to every country I can to perpetually disappoint people. <laughs> so we have very different goals. Just maybe to be I a bit a of podcast. a dickhead. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All the, actually, I, so that's pretty fair. All the countries I was a dickhead in because you and um, <laughs> you and Phil, you were up uh, on the peak on our day off um, with your shirts off. Sh- I think pants were on, shirts were off. I, I, you know what? This is <laughs> people. Are, I'm going to get a reputation on your show now. There, <laughs> no, there was there was a moment of that in in Bhutan because we. We were surprised by the snow, weren't we? We'd sort of got the, the first snow of the year, and I think they weren't really anticipating that. So we'd we'd established a camp and it had just bucketed down, and then in the morning we're like, "Oh, look, there's snow everywhere!" So me and and my tent mate Phil Bagdrop, we climbed to the top of this little mountain, and we thought, you know what, let's get a little photo because when you're doing fundraising trekking, it is it is actually legitimately a helpful thing to have something visual to show on social media that kind of gets people a bit excited about maybe donating a few more dollars. Yeah, so absolutely. And look, excuse I, for taking our shirts. we did keep our pants on from. Well, pot, from yeah, and pot kettle black because at the tiger's nest, I took my pants <laughs> off. Uh, so I had oh. black, black loose trousers on. Uh, I took them off and underneath I was wearing rainbow, rainbow unicorn and dinosaur. I tights. do remember that. That and, is an uh, image into my brain. Posed um, with my bottom, you know, well, <laughs> covered but very um, prominent. So uh, respect, anyway, it's a good photo. Of, of local customs but also bringing your own flair. Just decking, yeah, dacking myself um, on a peak. Well, you know what, so. now I think about it because I, what I did, I, I, um, I had a – my business cards are all on the back of each one as a different Instagram photo from our, from our The Champions account. Which is really cool. And then one of them, I was like, oh, that's right. I have to sort of print out hundreds of them. And one of them was actually when we we're up at the tiger's nest in Bruce. I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over the place here, but we are. there was a couple of monks who wanted to get a selfie with me. I guess they thought, I was like, wow, that guy must be like a celebrity. He's wearing a suit and tie and looking all <laughs> schmick. And I'm like, no, under this, I'm, I'm sweating and a nobody. But they were really excited. So I got a little photo of them getting a photo with me. So um, no, it's been it's been lots of fun. It's it's, it's a fun, fun idea doing things like like doing those things is really fun. But like you do pick the toughest moments. Like um, <laughs> one of was hundred percent the hardest part of that entire four day trip. Yeah, like it, it we and we had a time limit too. So I think that was part of the, the you know it was like we had to get up and down and off in forty five minutes, and you're faffing about with a suit for ten. <laughs> 
It's like, can, I don't Mitch, think I we have to get that. off. The, yeah, it was like, get off. Did I know about off. that time limit at the time? I don't um, recall if I did. If you did, Maybe I'm sure you didn't Maybe it was sort of really... in one ear and out the other, yeah. Yeah, I feel you didn't mind much. And then the same with Tiger's Nest. That was a brutal trek. Like that's like a stroll at the end of our six-day trek. They're like, we're just going to visit the Tiger's Nest, just stroll on up. It's like hop on up. two hours uphill, steep uphill. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, um, did we really need to save this for the last day? Uh, well, the legend then- has it that the tiger, there's like a mythical tiger that had wings that flew into it. I think that's what the legend sort of was, what I call it, the tiger's nest. I think I'm, I'm getting that right. But we, yeah, God, I mean, it, it would have been a lot easier growing wings and flying because walking. tough. Whew. Yeah. Thanks so I said we should so actually do it on the first it. day and it'd be a, actually, like it a, tra- a training acclimatization type trick because it's. That's true. But it is such an iconic <laughs> um, image, isn't it? When you think about Bhutan, what sort of springs to mind? You go, well, that. That, that image of, of that hill. structure on top of that, uh, on the mountain, jutting out of the mountainside. Um, so it, it does give you a lot to look forward to, to go uh, plodding along throughout these different parts of the country. And then you go, oh, there's that beautiful thing. And I, I remember it vividly. It's just such a such a wonderful thing to have done. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you're not going to be surprised on my answer later in the podcast of what's better <laughs> place. Spoiler alert, I won't say it, but we'll we'll see. But it's, you know, and you had, it's funny, yeah, you've had two experiences of Bhutan. So you went, yeah, twice, 2013 and 15, I believe. <laughs> you know my schedule. I, I used to work like, for the oh, charity, remember? I knew the whole schedule. <laughs> I knew when everybody was going everywhere. Um, yeah. I saw your face a lot because you were used in the marketing yeah. materials and I was very proud later oh, on that I got used in the marketing materials. I was like, take oh. that, Nick. Who's a black dog? It's a cheap person now, huh? Yeah, me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wear the jumper, get in the brochure. That's the that's the oh, ticket. That's such good advice. <laughs> Do you reckon it would work outside of that? Like if you just printed out a hoodie of like, I don't know, Nestle tea and just hung around their office, would they be like, you know what, we're going to put you on a billboard and then, you know, give you a bunch of money? Well, I think it was also that we invested thousands to go on those trips as well as raised thousands that they were probably were taking more note of us. <laughs> That's they're probably not, fair. They're not cheap trips and they do take a lot of work. Um, but, yeah, what? so which trip was more challenging? Because I was surprised how challenging the trek in Bhutan was. I, mm. in a way, found it harder than doing Everest Base Camp, to be honest. Wow. That makes me feel a lot more impressive than I thought I was <laughs> because I have not done Everest Base Camp. I I do think that Bhutan was probably more challenging uh, than Peru. Um, but my God, like this, I love I loved it for so many reasons, and in a way, it felt like it wasn't even hard work because you're just so wrapped up in everything that's around you. Uh, well, I should say I I felt I found it to be that way. Definitely tricky though when you do have that moment of like, oh, this is uh, probably could have done a few more walks in advance before leaving. Yeah, you certainly find oh yeah. So I loved the the surroundings, but it was certainly challenging going. There's some steep inclines. There's some definitely some parts where. We had this guy in front of us who was probably in his, I don't know, 80s or 90s. There was one day where this old man had sort of come out of some 
religion was leading part of it. And I'm like, how does this guy just effortlessly walk up this very steep hill? All and I guess the time. The answer is they live up there and do it all the time. So they're sort of used to it. I know, but it's um, for me, I, I should say why it was more challenging um, was that Everest is a trade route and it's like a, a, a path almost, although it's like a gravelly path. It's, it's a path. Um, you know, donkeys use it, yaks use it, um, humans use it. It's pretty well sort of founded, whereas where we were in Bhutan, like there were places where we had to watch every single step like you were going over pebbles, mm. there were little creeks. Um, you had mm. to, you know, little your boulders or just uneven ground constantly, as well as altitude, as well as the steepness. So I, I think for me, it was like that having to concentrate all the time. Probably also, was I was also a being a leader watching you guys, <laughs> making sure we're staying hydrated and not getting lost. I I love the diversity of the landscapes. We were camping down by a still riverside one day and then through snow the next and then just in this thick grasslands and then up above the the tree line and then down again into it's just there's so you you would think it you're in different countries throughout every the day. day. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the funny thing for me because we were so close. We were in the Himalayas, so so close to India and, and Nepal. Yet the terrain in parts looked more like Peru to me. Especially like mm-hmm. there was a day we were coming, went up over a rise and we came down and there was like sort of some lakes and things. Like that was like yeah. flashback to Peru. It was crazy. Yeah. Like we're in the, but we're in a completely different part of the world. And That's so true, it's not the it? same, but it's like, you know, you do because some people go, oh, stop comparing places. And I was like, you need a point of reference, you know? It's like, yeah, I'll do what I want. This is my podcast. I <laughs> can my live podcast. my life the way I feel like it. I also love, though, the thinking about just sort of coming off the, the trek and, and before it, the, the city, I mean, I guess you'd call it a city, but it was, it's such a small capital that it, it feels more like a big, village I suppose yeah it was, mm. yeah it was just how do you even describe it? it's honestly like walking into a, a movie or something it just feels like this doesn't feel real it was quite a surreal experience of nothing really feels familiar enough to say I understand what this is it's just like going into a because it what because the country itself has been quite isolated for a very long time until somewhat recently, but still maintains its cultural identity as a key part of what it sees as its happiness. It, it is quite unique. And so we go to this city where there isn't even traffic lights and there's, I think, what, one roundabout maybe. Oh, they put one and in, everyone, didn't they? And then everybody was like, I don't know what this crap like, what is, is, and they is took it, it away. <laughs> yeah. And then you have everyone who's walking around in their traditional garb. There's not the sort of, t-shirts and thongs and you know sort of stuff it's it's everyone's dressed the way they have been for a very long time and it's very foreign isn't it yeah it is it's foreign but it also feels like it sort of it sort of feels like it's it's locked in a a time of hundreds of years ago before it it feels sort of untouched i suppose is maybe a way of putting it except when they're wearing their robes and like rin chen reaches in and pulls out his mobile phone Like so well, charming yeah. and traditional, and then they just whip out a mobile phone, and like you're like, that's true. Wow. Well, yeah, we went to that. There was that 
uh, monastery we went to where all these young monks were were learning. Uh, and yeah, same one just sort of pulls out a, a phone. And like, oh, just, you're suddenly reminded, like, well, yeah, you can't really. Oh, wait, we are in 2015. The reality of the, the, the modern world. But, and, you don't know, they only got TV, I think, in 96 or something like that. And so there's a lot of things that are quite normal for us that have, have been adopted later for them. And, and I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, technology is bad. It's, you know, the worst thing in the world. But I think there is something to be said of the assumption that having advanced technology and being on the cutting edge of everything is somehow the preferred way of doing it. I think what Bhutan has shown, and they're not the happiest country in the world. They certainly value it, but they're not the happiest country in the world. So they haven't solved everything. But I think what has been really nice to see is that they put a lot of emphasis on their natural environment and on, uh, I suppose, trying to do as much as they can for most people in the country and having a sort of strong cultural identity. And there's sort of a lot to it. I think what was great for me about this whole trip or trip was not just seeing everything, but trying to work out where that idea of placing happiness as being an important thing above uh gross domestic product is a, a measure of of how well people are doing in terms of just, you know, mental health. Well, I, I loved, um, yeah, our, our guide Rinchen was amazing and, you know, one of the things he said was it's like it was about like having enough. So, you know, they're like I have a house, I have a business because I said you're so helpful that you're helping your nephew. He's like I work with my nephew, I work with my friend, da-da-da-da, I pull this guy in. It was like once you have enough like yeah of course work on your own stuff but you don't need just because once you've got a house doesn't mean you need a bigger house and once you've got a car doesn't mean you need a bigger car or more cars you go I'm good but old mate over here is not so good or um you know my nephew's kind of coming up in the world I'm going to help him and so it's like this like community feel of let's rise together um and and having enough um and the other thing was when we were up at uh the tiger's nest Rinchen, i asked him about the dalai lama because the, they are um buddhist but there's different strains of buddhism and so they were like eh, dalai lama is not like the big thing for us over here we've got our own stuff but he's like let's not talk about that like let's just talk about like what is buddhism mean it just goes into this kind of like philosophical thing and he just talked about being good and he's like, mm. you know, we used to say like, you know, good has become average almost. So if you're like you have to be great and you have to be wonderful. He's like to say somebody is good, to be a good person, to to have a good life, to to do good is such a is something to aspire to. And I just sat there bawling my eyes out at his talking. Like it was so simple and so beautiful. It's like it's just that let's have enough be enough, know that you're enough and be good. Be yeah. be a good person, do good things. Um, good is, he is such a, a good word. He <laughs> was I, I found myself chatting to him a lot throughout our trek. So he's, he, for the listeners, Rinchen was, I think, the first official government tour guide. Am I, am I right about I think he, I it's mean, he could be there. lying. But I think he was one of one of the first because when he was a young lad, he was sort of running off into the the woods and sort of finding his own path and whatnot. 
And when the government decided to sort of focus more on tourism, they said, well, we need to have a, a guide. How about we tap Rinchen and, and get him doing it? And what's great about, and a couple of points you made I want to touch on, but what I love about the way they have preserved the, the beauty of the place is you can't just sort of turn up and just go, oh, I'm going to just go wherever I want and walk around. You actually are required to have a tour guide that's authorised by the government. So there is quite a high cost to having a visa. When we were there, the visa cost per day was 90 US dollars, which sounds extreme, but well, and, and it the includes spend. the guide. Yeah, so it does actually come with um, a guide and, and a few other things. So what's great about that is you you have tourists being able to see so much and get a lot out of it, but also not just sort of run rampant. So back to what you're saying about cars and houses, I think one of the really cool things they've done is the, the government has recognised the importance of these things and they've actually legislated certain things which has pro- probably helped the country not go the way of other smaller nations that have experienced an influx of tourism and have in some ways have what makes them them tarnished in some way by, by foreign investment and, and a, 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 you know, swarm of tourists. So what they've done is, um, and I don't know if it's in response to tur- tourism or not, but it's certainly related to it. When anyone builds there, uh, any sort of, whether it's a hotel or a house or whatever, it has to be in a Bhutanese style. So you're not yeah. seeing big, fancy, modern Hilton. It's all the traditional, which is probably why it feels like you're stepping into another time because it's so just the way it looked hundreds and hundreds of years ago. It's absolutely gorgeous. And then also with talking about, you know, fancy cars and whatnot, there's, they have some funny taxes. So there's a huge tax on luxury import cars uh, and also cigarettes. Uh, you can only bring in, I think, maybe like one packet, which is taxed like crazy as well. They don't really have a lot of smoking there, which is probably quite unique for Asia compared to other, a lot of other Asian nations. So you do sort of get not a lot of outward displays of wealth. It sort of um, helps solidify a culture of perhaps being a bit more humble. And Absolutely. What I, what I found really interesting about what Rincham was telling us is, so for a very long time they've had a royal family, which uh, probably unlike the rest of royal families until quite recently were not figureheads. They actually were sort of benevolent dictators, um, even decades, decades, decades past when that was more common in, in other parts of the world. And it was only, I think, maybe in sort of like the night, oh, I don't know, don't quote me on this, but recently-ish where they actually established a parliament and made the royal family not have quite so much control over everything. And what's interesting is talking to our tour guide, who was kind of saying how, and I suppose partly because it is such a small country as far as population goes, there's a lot more efficiency there. And the, the king still has a lot, of, uh, a lot of say in what happens, but it seems like they'll do something like, okay, we want to have conversation with the French and what's so The king decided that we're going to have... Um, it was, I think it might have been free tertiary education. And he, the king has yeah. a four year plan. And I was like, okay. So, and then he says, so the king says, in four years' time, we're going to have education for everybody. 
I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, so like, what happened? Did they do it? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, <laughs> so, like, was it like, but <laughs> that's got to be a, like, it just blew, like, how do you just go, well, the king said it's going to happen, so let's make it happen. In my mind, I'm like, there's got to be committees, there's got to be working groups, there's got to be opposition to it, there has to be lobbying. And it's no. Just, no, it's sort of fairly uncomplicated. And they really love they really love the royal family, but yeah, it was um, you know, and, they had, and what a good looking couple as oh, well. Oh, they were very oh. attractive people. Does very your show attractive. notes allow photos, or is it just text? Oh, absolutely. I want everyone who's listening to, I want them to see how good looking this royal family. Is. They are, and they're on a lot of things, so you get to see the, them a lot. But uh, they're they very are. lovely people. Yeah, my our friend uh, Fiona, who was on the trek, she said uh, described Bhutan as being aesthetically pleasing to the eye, and I thought that was mm. a very apt. Just, just everywhere you look is just kind of postcard ish. Like you just take a snapshot mm. and be like, and there's not going to be yeah a sign ruining the view or some yeah a hor- like a traffic light or whatever. Like it's just here's your gorgeous, and the buildings are kind of white um, with like mahogany almost door and and maybe they have some and then they have the colored um rainbow flags around and so there's like this is like this real simple white a little bit of color and then just stunning greenery everywhere it's um now you mentioned i'm trying to think what what did make it feel so unique and i think despite tourism being i think it's their second biggest export it's a big part of their economy is tourism um it didn't feel like there were tourists around well it's so well managed it's very of, restricted yeah, it felt like we're the only ones there in a way it just felt like compared to say peru or china or whatever you go i'm very much one of millions of people who are here looking at machu picchu or the great wall or whatever um it really certainly you see other tourists there, but it doesn't feel like um, that's a, a huge thing that sort of surrounds you everywhere. No, and so like so at the time, yeah, yeah, I think the yeah the, the visa was one part of it, but uh, the cost per day minimum spend was like two fifty. So it's like if you're going for a ten day trip, you're looking at minimum two and a half grand US. Uh, which is unlike other, as you said, like Asian countries generally people go, they're thinking it's going to be cheap. There really isn't a, a cheap way to get into Bhutan. I think for um, a few different countries they can get in through different routes, but you have to fly into Paro. That's kind of like quite strict as well, like where you enter the country. Um, and then the visa thing is quite strict. And look, I totally respect it because some people go, "Oh, it's so hard," and da da da, and it costs so much, and it's very, um, what do you call it? Um, oh, there's a good word I can't think of it. Uh, but it's, it stops people from going. And I'm like, but that's okay because some of the people, the dickheads who are running around wanting to make, you know, prohibitive. Yes, um, yes, it's very prohibitive. But you know, for good reason. Like they want you to understand about the culture they want you to go and respect it and they want you to they don't want to have it overrun and there's something about as well um i think it's like 75 percent of educators must be Bhutanese 
so they will have expats come in, but then they're only allowed to stay for a certain time. So you couldn't go there and end up working for 10 years. You'd probably go and do a term of a couple of years um, mm-hmm. so that they, again, maintain um, the roles for Bhutanese people and yeah, and keep I that culture there. Yeah. I, I respect, I absolutely really respect it. I think they've introduced it in a really um, great way and we still got to experience it. So, but tell me the Definitely. first time you had a very unique experience because um, you had a bit of a weather disaster on your first trip. We did. We had a weather disaster, which turned out to be one of those things where you go, I'm actually glad it happened because it's one of those like do it for the story things. Yeah. Where we, and we didn't, we had no idea it was going to happen, but we were trekking up this mountain. And by sheer luck, one of, <laughs> one of our, our fellow trekkers uh, had needed to descend because she had, um, what's it called? Uh, altitude sickness. Altitude sickness. And <laughs> lucky us, so we had to, we had to descend, being like, oh, that's a noise and a cut the day short. But, it was fortunate because the storm rolled in, which came out of nowhere, and it turned out to be this like monsoon type weather. Was it a typhoon? Absolutely fucking de- yeah. It was just which is pretty crazy for mountain territory. <laughs> it, it was it was pretty full on. It was just this, and so we're going down this mountain into a valley, and this is off the path. There's no, there's going to be some information center down there. Just we're going into, a, you know, a jungle type environment into a valley. And we don't know what's down there. And so I don't know if you've had that experience where you have you have a tour guide and you know, he usually has a few, he or she has some people with them who are kind of, you know, helping out and whatnot. And they're all speaking in Bhutanese at each other and they're speaking in a, a greater frequency than, <laughs> than they normally would. And they're pulling out their phones and talking to people and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if there's a plan ahead of us. We're trying to see what happens. But we get down to the bottom of this valley and we come across a local school, a primary school. And our, our leader uh, went and spoke to the principal. It was outside of school hours. And he basically organised for us to stay the night in this little school. And so we just sort of cleared the – just to get out of the rain – so we cleared the chairs and tables and we all just got our sleeping bags out and just lay on the floor of this little tiny dark classroom just on these floorboards. And the next day we woke up and the weather had gotten a bit better. But what was really funny is seeing this this little boy turned up to class. He didn't get the message because he just lives in a remote area. <sighs> this boy usually wakes up at something like I think three or four in the morning and walks by himself for a couple of hours to the wilderness school. to get to school and he didn't get the message so he turns up and this you know nice little uniform turns up walks into class <laughs> you know 15 <laughs> foreigners there just certainly you know, playing cards or chatting or whatever, turning over and looking at and the look in this little boy is just like the terror <laughs> like, oh, what's going on so he came over to Rinchen and, and they spoke about what was happening and stuff but um, it was a really unique experience, and it was it was great because we actually got to see the how education works there, and spoke about and you know and what a lot of what I do is is working with schools, you know, doing mental health education. So seeing how that works uh, in in this totally totally foreign country 
that is very different to our own and a part of it that is even sort of off limits to tourists usually was just fascinating. And we, oh, yeah. what we actually learned later, unfortunately, for other trekkers who were ahead of us in different groups, they had to be medevaced out because they got stuck up there with the weather. So we were we were quite fortunate. And this, this tour guide group was so lovely to us. They they organised other things for us to do for a few days while we were sort of out of action, seeing different cultural sites. And, yeah. and the woman who owned the company was so apologetic and she gave us like bottles of wine and stuff. And we're like, you don't have to apologise for the weather. It's not your uh, fault. Well, like, yeah. You've done everything you can to help. But you. some people get really fixated and I've, I've been a tour leader. I was, a, I was was the tour leader for our 2015 one. Um, some people get really fixated on the itinerary and on the plan and on the route. It's a very Western way of thinking. Um, mm. whereas you know I think you know hopefully people are there for the experience I know that you are very much always there for the experience and like see what happens but it's funny when being the tour leader the next time they were doing their risk assessment and we were going me and one of the staff were going through the risk assessment and I said oh do you have something in there for typhoons and she said no and I said well considering two years ago <laughs> they went to Bhutan with this same charity and they had a typhoon I do feel that we should have a uh, risk assessment and uh, some assessing. a plan. So I'd like, um, I won't sign off on this until you get that done. <laughs> and they're like, she's like, oh, well, that, why would we have a typhoon? Wise. I'm like, because it happened. Because <laughs> it happened, it does. <laughs> but you're so right about the itinerary. My, my grand, when we, we had years ago, we had a family reunion in Disney World in America and my grandpa put together a spreadsheet of like organizing what we're going to do at what time of what day, like how to have fun using Microsoft Excel. So it can sort of take a bit of the magic out of it. Some, like, there's certainly something to be said of having an idea in advance of what things you might want to go check out so you don't learn about it when you come home and go, oh, I didn't know that thing existed. It would have been great to go see. But I think there's also something to be said of being a little bit free and, and loose. Ignorant. Well, I'm trusting that you have a guy. I love when people come up to me, they're like, where are we having dinner tonight? And I'm like, are you familiar with the restaurants of Paro Bhutan? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, will it help you if I tell you what the restaurant name is? And they're like, no. And I was like, let's see what happens then. <laughs> Shall we? Yeah. You know, like, and the food. Oh. The food is amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, chili, the chili, oh. um, the, the pepper, like the um, snow peas in cheese thing. Yeah. Um, chili yeah. cheese, vegetable mm. stuff. Mm. And we were so fortunate. We had our beautiful guide. Um, I I have just found uh, a note in my phone of because um, I was learning the language. I was just, like chatting away with them uh, learning remember. the language. But uh, Kuzu Zangpola is hello. I can't seem mm. to find the rest of my wonderful Bhutanese, but one of the words well, um, chili, Emma meant chili. Enough to get by. Yeah, Emma meant chili. I knew that. So or <laughs> spicy. Emma meant ch- oh, so your name. My name is, is a word in Bhutanese, yeah. It's so, like in Japan, my name, Nick, or Niku, means meat. So uh-huh. I, I'm, a, I'm a vegetarian whose name is meat. Well, and what I've also found is, um, you know, we, we ended up giving nicknames. I, I love learning the guys, the guys' names. And like you mentioned before, we had, we had a crew of about 10 or 15 guys, I think about 15 guys. And we had, um, along with that, about 10 or 15 horses, which was super cool. So they'd uh, go off with our horses. And then we had a dog that followed us. She was beautiful. 
yeah. slept in my te- outside my tent one night. So it's quite quite a because um, we were camping. So they take all the stuff on the horses and they set up the tent and they cook for you. Like it's quite phenomenal um, what they do, and you totally respect why you have to pay money to do it. But they're just so beautiful. It's like it becomes a big family. Anyway, we had um, nicknames. You were Nick the Whisperer Newling. Um, because but, I never did. <laughs> maybe it was, was irony. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Phil, um, our wonderful friend Phil, had many a nickname. Apparently he was mm. Dropper, Peanut, Paf, Paf King, Marathon Man, Mountain Man, Pace Setter, and Felipe. What was Paf? Paf was pensive as, excuse me, I'm going to swear, pensive as fuck because Phil used to go and just stand on a rock and just look out deep, and just have this deep man. Yeah, deep thought. And he would like in the morning, he should be like, where's Phil? And he's sitting over on the other side of camp on a rock just looking out. He's a very thoughtful man, um, Phil. He's a thoughtful so, man. He, so he, he's actually sort of in a way carried the mantle of, of what we were doing out there and raising money. So he does plenty of marathons just for fun which is my idea of hell, but apparently it's a thing that people do for fun. And what he does is he actually raises money to support my work in in school. So we've kept in touch, become really good friends. Phil and Durney, sort of, we should say. Phil Durney, wonderful yes, man. Yes, and his organisation is Cool and with the Black Dog. We'll put that in the show notes. I've decided as your co-host. Now, Can you write the show notes, please? Because you're creating a lot of work for me. So I'm going to delegate that to you, back to you, yes. Nick. We're also going to put in Bhutan's third biggest export in there because we both on top of our head don't know that. So we'll make sure someone fact checks that at the office. Oh, um, but no, I still- tell Darius to listen. I'm like, Darius, <laughs> do, do my annotating as I go. <laughs> oh, no. Hi, guys. It's Darius here from the editing room. Um, thank you very much for giving me some extra facts to check and some show notes that uh, I can fill out. Um, I went on the Ministry of Finance website from Bhutan and checked Section 3 um, of the 2019 uh, stats, and it tells me that uh, petroleum and gasoline were the third most exported goods from Bhutan. So do with that what you will. Back to you, Nick and Emma. But no, Phil is is a wonderful person to share a tent with because, yeah, he's very <laughs> funny and obviously very, very deep as well. Um, but my favourite nickname for Phil was Bag Drop because he dropped a bag. It's one of those things where, like, it's... it's you it's, have to go on a trek to understand where this stupid stuff comes from. Yeah, very insignificant things. He dropped a bag once and we're like, ah, oh, bag drop. And that, so, so every time I go to an airport now... And you know when they have, like, the bag drops, there's a big sign thing, bag <laughs> yeah. drop. I just take a photo and send it to him, like, hey, baggy, thinking of you. <laughs> Hope you're well. So, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we made some really good friends along the way, didn't we? But that dog that was part of the our trek. She was so beautiful. He wasn't, or she, I don't know, what, it was a dog. Um, no, it was a boy. I remember because. <laughs> because Rinchen, who actually speaks very, very good <laughs> So Rinchen speaks very good English, but there's certain, you know, what there's certain words that you know what they're saying that doesn't quite make sense. So rather than saying his dog was a good boy, he was saying he's a good chap. <laughs> like something you might say about, you know, if you were like 90 or something, he's a good chap. Um, but anyway, this dog was a smart dog. He followed us throughout the whole week. 
he wasn't anyone, so it was a stray, but he, he basically follows each t- trekking group through because he knows he's going to get fed at every camp. Oh, I was happy too. Out. And I like we yeah. it rained the last night and I, I coaxed the dog. I didn't let it into my tent tent, but there's kind of like a little balcony section, if you will. So mm. I let the dog sleep in the balcony section of my Emma bed. obviously has the five star treatment with the <laughs> the spa and balcony tent. That's Everyone else is roughing it in our normal two person. Well people are always like, Do you do camping? And I'm like I do glamping, like I like I love it, love being out in the wilderness. But I really need a, a team of fifteen or so. I yeah. need horses. I love the observatory <laughs> deck of my. <laughs> <laughs> I just no, get, like, I'm just trying to give it a, a good. I, but yeah, it was um yeah, but it, but it is glamping. Honestly, like they set it up for us. They bring yeah. you tea in the morning. They bring you water to wash your hands. They they really won't let you I mean we helped one day because the camp was flooding after the snow was melting so do you remember that we um set up a little like was that when Phil and I were off away oh yeah you guys are really buggered off off. we have no idea we come back oh the place is speak and span I'm glad someone did that (laughs) there were the water was because the snow was melting it was like going into the food tent so we created this little like chain of workers a little working bee where we were all scooping the water and and because they were trying to do it and there was like two of them and we're like we can help and they're like no 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 don't help and we're like clearly we have nothing else to do um we can help and so we were all passing these buckets of water along and that's the stuff that's the stuff that makes these trips amazing those little moments that you don't expect um the time with the people the time with the locals i mean uh i've committed to rinchen that we're going to write a book so i've got to get back there um sat me down one day under a tree and told me we really needed to talk more about Bhutan and get it out in the world and that I was the one to write said book. So um, apparently wow. I'm going back. You're like, um, you're like the Apostle Paul of your generation. <laughs> just, it was, I mean, I don't even know if I talked to, told him that I am a writer, um, but he just he just had this sense that I'm, I'm that person. Someone's so. got to do it. She seems to know what she's doing. Let's pick her. No, just it's true because there was a, there's a few um, – there's a few – uh, misconceptions about Bhutan and one of them is that they have um, harsh restrictions on how many people are allowed to come in and Rinchen said no like we the more like the more the merrier don't don't hold back you know please if you're a tourist and wants to visit uh yeah come along please I mean visit. not right now probs uh, no, probably we're not in COVID. Right very please second. don't take yeah. the pandemic into Bhutan. That would not really bode well. That for would their not be great. No, traditional it would not culture. Be very good. But no. look, you mentioned before about some of the work that you're doing with um, Phil, and one of the reasons um, that I wanted to get you on as well, not only because we had fabulous times trekking together and, and visiting the beautiful Bhutan. Um, but also because you are an incredible mental health advocate and the mission behind this podcast, as you mentioned, was to visit every UN-recognised country. But my um, part of that mission for me is is talking about mental health and raising awareness for mental health and I feel that travel greatly contributes to my well-being and uh, I would love to learn more about how it's approached in the world and Bhutan was obviously a very special place for that. But how did you get into the mental health space and what – uh, is your organization and the work you're doing yeah thank you so much it's uh, i just love how we have so much overlap in our interests obviously mental health is a huge part of what i do and being involved or working for black dog institute at the time when we we met and did those treks was obviously something we both have a, a strong interest in and so I, I left black dog after about six years to start 
doing my own thing. And I have an organization called The Champion. And we say we champion sharing to help improve mental health. And so it's a way of getting into different communities, you know, schools and workplaces and whatnot, and speaking about mental health in a very honest and real way. So I speak about it from my own lived experience perspective as someone who has struggled a lot with mental illness and also uh, having lost my brother to suicide when I was in high school, who then uh, sort of, I was very much diverted from my path of what I thought I was going to do. I I found it very hard to to continue school. So I left and, and didn't go to uni. So it was sort of what's going to happen. I ended up working in mental health and I found that to be a very, very meaningful thing. And so I talk about things from my own perspective and try to inject a bit of humour in with, you know, all the the really challenging stuff as well Mm. on all sort of doom and gloom. Um, But then I sort of marry that with what, what knowledge we can all take from that. How can, I don't want it to be like, oh, here's a, here's a story, the end. It's, well, now what? What can we do? What can the science tell us? What can we learn from this to sort of help ourselves and each other? And then I just do a really big open Q&A session. So we just sort of open up the conversation and talk. And part of that often involves getting local service providers to be a part of that conversation as well because I find so much of what is challenging is that people often – not always, but often there is support available in their communities. More often than not, there's, there's support available. But there's barriers in place, uh, whether it be the stigma around it, whether it be just the thought that, oh, what I'm going through isn't that bad, and or maybe that's financial. Sort of for other people, but not for me. Financial can be a big one as well. So just picking apart some of those things and trying to affect a bit of change in in helping more people access the help that that they deserve and not just going once but sort of understanding that it is a bit like going to the gym you know you sort yeah. of, me and my friend it. when we were we were doing basketball in year nine and we thought oh we, we better get ripped before the season starts so we went to the gym once and we're like cool that about does it not realizing of course that you have to sort of go more than 20 minutes one time so there's a lot to, to help seeking beyond just sort of going once. It's, it's getting as much out of it as you can and sort of giving as much as, as you can as well to sort of open up a bit more. So it's about sort of changing attitudes. It's about normalizing uh, mental illness and understanding it from a real human perspective, not just sort of the stats and figures. Uh, and ultimately, it's about a affecting change to sort of improve uh, the well-being of, of as many people as we can. So that's sort I of love, what I spend a lot I of my time it. doing now. I yeah, love the way you. you talk about it and your humour and your openness. And I think, you know, the stigma is is definitely lifting somewhat, but there's still not this sort of way you would say, my knee hurts, I'm going to the physio. You wouldn't talk about, you know, my brain isn't really feeling great, no, I'm going so to the counsellor or the psychologist. And, you know, I think um, I'd love to, you know, there's still this thing about I'm I'm struggling, it's a struggle or I'm, you know, then you're less than as opposed to 
life is sometimes challenging and things can be mm. a lot. And um, if you've been through a tough time or, or I think the hard part is actually people who haven't been through a trauma or haven't been through a difficulty and they're just feeling pretty crap uh, yeah, and, and there's no trigger and they're like, but mm-hmm. Fund, you know, on the surface, everything's okay. My life is good, you know, and I, you know, and then there's a guilt that comes with it and all that sort of stuff. But it's like, like you said, it's just working on it. And, and sorry to be um, lame and about it, but um, mental health is a journey. Um, and it's something I've had to learn. I think that people um, think you get fixed, but it's not something yeah. to be fixed. It's an ongoing, no, it's an ongoing thing. That and you, and to- you touch on a really important one, I think, actually, and it's the same one that I experienced is going, well, my family life is pretty good. And, you know, it's, you know, what have I got to complain about? Uh, you know, we're not sort of starving in the street and there's billions of people out there who have it way, way worse off. So I'm sort of, you know, wasting a counsellor's time by sitting in that chair and talking to them. And really you go, that's actually just another one of those barriers Hmm. seeking and we kind of we think about the ones of you know distance and cost and and stigma but very often there is that sort of self stigma of going oh I don't I don't deserve it um or I I don't it's not that bad I don't need you know that's that's to me that's a a very common one that I do come across in in my work and also with stigma like I think we absolutely have come a long way I've been speaking schools for a very long time now and I've seen it shift, seen the the rise of all different kinds of public-facing organisations that have shifted public attitudes about it. But I I do, I collect data at every school uh, and and workplace I visit to see what what effect it's having to sort of understand and make sure I'm sort of delivering in a way that's most useful. And what I find surprisingly in schools that only about 4% 4% of students say that stigma is not a problem in their school. So a huge majority say stigma is still an issue. Okay. Um, which is surprising. I would have thought, oh, maybe we're sort of, I, I think we are getting a lot better, but I think at least in that age group, uh, a lot of people still go, there's a tendency to go, that's, there's something with that that is maybe we shouldn't talk about or it's hard to talk about or maybe that does make someone you know, a bit weak in some ways or whatever it might be. So we've come a long way, but we've got a long way to go as well, I think. Oh, absolutely. And people, I think people are okay to talk about it when it's not them. So there's a little Mm. bit of like, oh, so if you're talking about having a mental health challenge, they can kind of have empathy for you and understand and be and go, okay, yep, you get the help, you get the help and support you in that way. But then it's like if if the mirror was turned around, you know, they're looking at themselves, well, but not me, but not me. Um, and I think okay. as well some places have, like like my husband's work has put in, a, they can have a mental health day, but he doesn't mm. know how to do that. Like mm. h- how do you approach, you know, I know I'm allowed, I know they're there, but how do I use them? Like there's sort of a lack of education or a, a gap there and it's like, yes, we have it, but people aren't utilising it or understanding how to use it. And my thing to him and where I see mental health day is that you take it before the crisis. Mm. You take it before the trauma. You take it before you're burnt out. You you take it so that you don't get to that point. You just need a break. You need time for yourself. You need to do whatever you need to do for your self care, um, so, so that true, you're not crashing and burning. Um, but I don't know if workplaces understand that either. 
Well, I think even for the ones that do, there's still that uh, very often that unspoken cultural attitude of you letting the team down a little bit. Or even even if I didn't tell anybody that I'm having a mental health day, let's just say I was in that position. I am myself as a worker, as part of a team in a say I was in a, a corporate environment, I might go, Oh, well, I'm letting I am letting the team down, even if people don't know why I'm taking the day off. So I, I think I think that's one of the one of the areas we have a long a long way to go in. But speaking about that idea of a journey that you mentioned, uh one of the questions I had the other day at a school, um, a rural school, was about the stigma of treatment, not just the stigma of being unwell, because I do see that as the next frontier. I think we have gotten a lot better in destigmatizing people having a mental illness, or whether, even if it's not a diagnosable condition, even if it's just like just going through a really shitty time. But I think what people do struggle with in terms of this is a weird thing to talk about is yeah, different kinds of treatment and the struggles that people will have throughout that journey, um, how to, how to address how it affects people's lives, how it affects their ability to be the, the kind, the best friends that they want to be and how it might affect their ability to work and all those sorts of things that seem to be a bit more taboo still, which are actually, probably even more important than destigmatizing than just the the condition itself yeah there's a lot of work to be done but i mean honestly i just i love how um what you're doing it makes me smile every time i know my mum's one of your biggest fans we love no, <laughs> she's, nice she's like her. nick's doing this did you know and i'm like i, I also have instagram <laughs> mum yep i'm on it <laughs> just, you know no, i see great. a comment sometimes I, the post wouldn't come up for me but mum's commented on it so i get to see it and then um oh, i'm also a big fan of your of you but also of your mother who wrote um and i will put it in the show notes but i'll also put up a picture her fabulous book called missing christopher which was about your family's journey and um about your brother uh, which Mm. is incredibly helpful for people who are in grief um and for people to understand uh and for her to write that i know that was very important and special for you too oh absolutely yeah no i I think when we were going through uh, the grief of losing someone to suicide in the family, there wasn't really a blueprint for how to go or anything, how to go about grieving, just managing, just maintaining. There, was, there wasn't there was a lot to go off. And there, there is more these days, but what she's provided, which I think is really unique, is it's not, it's not, even, a meant, it's not even meant to be a guide. It's just an honest, it's a memoir. It's a lived experience, happened. yes, which yeah, is really I think helpful. So much that people can learn from that, um, and a lot that I'm sure we wish we could have known at the time. Um, but she's done a wonderful job of it, and it's it certainly helped me a lot. And I know it's helped many, many people. So she gets emails from people saying that it's, it's changed their life and and saved their lives in some cases as well. So it's um, I'm also very proud of of my mum. So we another thing that you and I share in common. I still got to meet her. I feel I feel like I know her. Um, I can't believe you. Shout met out to her. Jane. So weird. Hi, Jane. She'll <laughs> hey, be Jane. listening to this. I'm sure. yeah. yeah. Yay. Um, no, it's phenomenal, and I, I love that angle of it. And it's something I'm going to be working on. With you know, we discussed it off air, but um, my pregnancy journey, and I just think there's a gap sometimes in. Um, there's heaps of how, like you said, guides, how tos, instructions, help. 
uh, fact sheets, all that sort of stuff. But just hearing that someone else has gone through it. And so I've had a really tough time with my pregnancy and it's, it's really brought up a lot of that mental health stuff for me. And I think it brings up a lot of mental health stuff for a lot of women, but uh, that's a whole new kettle of fish. You can't really talk about that because you, you know, mm. got to love your baby, love my baby, but having a really tough time too. Um, yeah. So I'm, I want to just talk about what I've gone through and if that helps somebody to go, oh my gosh, I felt that way too then that, that's, that's what it's about, you know, and it's like I just no, say, you know, so call myself the scapegoat sometimes, but if I've got to be out there and, and cop the tough conversations and things so that somebody else can have an easier conversation, then. Oh, absolutely. No, there's, there's a lot of pressure on women, and I say this as a woman who has been pregnant, obviously not. <laughs> my, 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 my name You've is been Dan, pretty close my... to one. <laughs> yeah, right. I, um, but, you know, just. You know, obviously being in an age where a lot of people in my circle are having babies and obviously my, my wife has also um, had a, a little boy, Finn. And I think there is a lot of pressure on women to to act in a certain way or to have a certain experience that is considered the right one, whether it might be, you know, how you choose to give birth or, you know, whether it's breastfeeding or bottle feeding or whatever it might be. and uh, there, uh, to me, there's it's sort of much of a muchness with a lot of these decisions, and the people presented as like that's one that's right for you and your baby, and one that's not. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, maybe don't be so judgmental, and um, you know, don't try to control everyone just to be like you. Yeah, but you're so, you're <laughs> I don't know if I can so and anything. so. No, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, like it. It comes into many areas of life, um, mental health, and I think, you know, I really love the way that um, you're ad- addressing it and coming at it from the lived experience um, is so important um, so that. And especially those, I just see those kids in the photos, those kids in high school seeing this cool dude come into school, laid back. We have a lot of fun. We suave have a lot of guy. Fun. <laughs> it's, it's, you know what, it's, it's funny because, like the, my 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 speaking style is just sort of pretty pretty cash and and sort of <laughs> off the cuff and so we just sort of yeah roll with it but it sort of lends itself to being really serious and 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 deep at times but also there is a lot of fun we have which so I had one I was speaking in in rural Victoria and and I so often speak to students during the day and then parents or teachers at night. And I had one t- one parent come up to me and she said, look, I um, my daughter came home today and said, we saw this mental health talk today at school and, like, you have to, mum and dad, you have to go tonight to see him speak as well. And then she said to me, she was like, but she did say we had this talk about suicide and it was so funny. And she's like, are you sure? Like, that doesn't <laughs> sound like a very funny topic. And she's like, no, I wasn't, like, making fun of it. It was... It was a story that had a lot of seriousness Humor. to it, but also mm-hmm. it's a reflection of life and there's parts where you just have to laugh as well, you know. So um, I think it is important to present this stuff as being real, which isn't all just doom and gloom. And it's not all just like inspiration and triumph over adversity. It's just it's what's what real life is, what everyone experiences. It's um, there's, there's a lot of complexity to it. And part of that is really pleasurable and part of it's not. And when we come across situations where people find the the knot to be uh, more deeper or more frequent than they want it to be, then 
we work out or what what can we learn from from science and research and each other's experiences uh, to try to improve our situation. So I think that's sort of what we focus on. I love it. And, look, we can't finish this uh, podcast without mentioning the Bhutan salad. So please explain <laughs> the, the salad Bhutan of Bhutan. <laughs> I, texted, I texted you uh, a couple of weeks ago because I was – so I I did a, a rural tour just a couple of weeks ago uh, thanks to Phil Gurney's um, organisation – calling with a black dog that he raised funds for to get me out in some rural locations in New South Wales. And so I shared a few photos from our Bhutan trek saying this is where Phil and I met and this is where this sort of idea was born. And I came across one of them, which was just a, a quite a large, maybe like the lo- size of a loaf of bread, a smooth rock. And it just had a, a printed out label taped to it, <laughs> which said salad. <laughs> like, and I was like, what is that? And I, <laughs> what had happened was we were at this restaurant and I think it was, I think it was just like, it was meant to be like a, the rock itself was a label and it was just sort of sitting in front of a big bowl of salad. <laughs> Say, this is the salad, this is the cheese, this is the whatever on a big, a big long table. And for whatever reason, it had been moved. So it was just like <laughs> sitting on our table saying salad. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> Rock. <laughs> Why is I didn't get it? And then someone point I'm like, oh, okay. Like, um, I understand. So I obviously found it hilarious. Took a photo and texted to you saying, "Hey, looking forward to being on the podcast." Proud. <laughs> I just love the things that, like you know, yeah, that we all have these moments that stand out. There's like epic views. There's the tiger's nest. There's this golden <laughs> Buddha. There's these beautiful garments, and you're just like salad. Salad. <laughs> and salad, it'll stay there forever. Salad. But it I, will. I loved On what you said before. Somewhere. <laughs> There's gonna be someone's gonna get there and be like, I'm very yeah. confused. <laughs> yeah. I need a backstory. Yeah. Well, here it is. This is the backstory, guys. But mm. um I absolutely love that you said as well that this idea came, you know, you met Phil there, that that friendship has blossomed. We were obviously doing that trip. I love travel with a purpose. We were traveling there, raising funds. You know, we were all there talking about mental health and that fact that now five years later you are doing this work. And for me, um, you know, the idea for the podcast came like on the way back from Mongolia last year on a plane being like I want to visit every country and I want to do it Mm. and I want to talk about mental health and I want to like help people. And like then, you know, and I want, you know, then we decided to start a podcast and like, here I am. I just, I love that travel can foster, it gives you the space and the freedom and, uh, you know, to generate those ideas, to build those relationships and to actually like take action that if you didn't travel, if you didn't take that trip, you might not be where we are today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's such a good, it's such a good way of putting it. You and I and wouldn't be here today. you just worked out the ending to the episode. <laughs> I think you've like... Did you plan this? You're like, I'm going to get his salad story. <laughs> and, and then I'm just going to be heaps profound at the end. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know me. And then make him look like a bit of an idiot because he <laughs> ended on a salad rock piece and yet I've got this like, and then we went to the moon sort but, of like. <laughs> but, Nick, I can't. That's, but that is you. Like I can't, you know, we have these beautiful, deep, wonderful we conversations do. and then we're total dickheads. So Absolutely. That's Which life. is the way it should be done. That's how I'm going to raise my son. Oh, to I be love a, it. a 
a, a poignant dickhead. <laughs> oh, what an ambition. Thank yeah. you so much for your time and I genuinely heart, heartfelt thanks um, for sharing your story uh, and uh, for always being such a beautiful light in my life. So, oh, That's so kind of you and, and likewise, thank you for having me on here and look out for the show notes for a photo of that salad rock um, a coin that Rinchen gave me and some information about the national animal of Bhutan that we went and saw. Everybody. <laughs> you are doing these show notes. I, you're creating way too much work for me. <laughs> I, uh, hey, it's the end of the year. I'm going to unplug my computer and you'll never hear from me again. Boom. We'll see that. Thank you, my friend. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Um, already looking forward to the next one. Uh, we also have a rather extensive back catalogue for you to check out. Um, but in the meantime, you can uh, follow us on Instagram. That's at Lovely Travels on Instagram. Or you can come and check us out on Facebook, Lovely Travels. That's L-O-V-E-L-L-Y. Or we would love for you to join our Facebook community uh, with more than 500 members talking all things travel and adventure. That's the Lovely Travels community. You can also visit our website, which is lovelytravels.com. Or shoot us an email. We love hearing from our listeners. So please send us an email, feedback, comments, questions, whatever. Info at lovelytravels.com. And you can listen, review, subscribe, like, share, and promote our podcast in any shape, way, or form. Uh, we are on Spotify, iTunes, the internet, uh, Google Podcasts, everywhere where you get podcasts, you will find us. All good podcasting locations. So That's tune in right. next time, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you then. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.